Coming Up Next Time podcast is brought to you in part by Built to Ride. Head over to builttoride.ca and pick up some coffee or apparel. Use the exclusive listener code COMEUP when you check out for an additional 20% off your order. A coming up next time, Rider Spotlight. Hey, Barry, it's Al Wilson. As we were saying there, uh, the motorbike community has really been helping me out since I uh, broke my neck. Broke my neck last uh, July 17th. So getting close to the year here now, and uh, yeah, people want to people want to help me out i do have a clothing line it's called the 559.ca the clothing line on there and we're actually diving into the coffee business as well it'd be super rad if uh, people could have a look at that website anyway thanks barry ciao later Check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Barry Moore. My next guest is a professional engineer, Ironman, passionate rock climber, making many first ascents. On Two Wheels competes in enduro as well as trials. My guest has faced many challenges, including depression and thoughts of suicide. In the last five years, she accepted who she truly was. Coming up next, this is Alexis Lynn Barupe. Anyway, uh, just want to say thank you for taking the time to talk with me. And yeah, of yeah. course. Well, you know, it's people have busy lives. Like, uh, it can be. A pain yeah, in the but ass. Uh, it's uh, you know talking about moto is always exciting, and uh, I've been listening to your uh, podcast uh, with increasing interest, and oh, nice. uh, I, I'm glad to be on the show. That's awesome. Yeah, hopefully it's provided some entertainment. <laughs> like, absolutely. Uh, I, uh, I, I've been enjoying kind of listening to it while I work on the bike, to be honest, and it's, it's been great. Oh, sweet. Yeah, I find it weird to call it entertainment because uh, sometimes people are expressing, like, some pretty deep things that technically aren't entertaining, but, uh, yeah. You've had some really great guests oh, on the show, heck yeah. I must admit. And yeah. I think that they're, they're they've all been pretty awesome. Like, um, I mean... It's funny, like, some people uh, would want to have just, like, I don't know, A-list, A-list celebrity types, you know, and, and they'd, they'd measure that as their success benchmark, but uh, I prefer to have the people that are real, you know, like the, I don't know, the people that really make up the sport. There's only, like, you know, one Graham Jarvis, but there's, you know, like a hundred of... Like high level riders that are that have a better story probably to share. Yeah, I mean it's uh it's a mixed bag of a lot of interesting people who commit to the moto community in a different way, right? Like, yeah, hands down. Um you, you know, listening to your your interviews with uh Kyle Brotherson and uh, you know, B Rad Moto and it's just it's really cool because they all come in in different ways in the bike community and we know all these people and uh, they all shape us in, in a certain way, right? Influence us and uh, cool. Yeah. Good thing you're doing. Oh man. I think, I think it's been, it's been great. And uh, the community has really rallied around it. So it's been, I don't know, uh, really rewarding. I don't know how else to describe it. I don't really have words for it yet. 
Like it's it's hilarious. Um, so, uh, you've been like you got started in moto uh, a while ago, didn't you? I started, I would say, uh, where I bought my my own personal bike uh, four years ago. But I was ex- I was exposed to a bit of moto when I was younger. Uh, I had two or three friends who had uh, dirt bikes, and I, you know, with a bit of luck, I managed to uh, get to learn on on their bikes, go ride there, kind of after school. So I was a bit lucky to learn that natural skill uh, feel of a dirt bike at a young age because I, I, you know, all the great riders that I've seen have benefited from, you know, learning when they were young, if you know what I'm getting at. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and that, you know, it helps not to say there haven't been amazing riders who have picked it up later in life as well, but certainly learning something when you're developing is uh, a huge bonus, right? So so that helped a little bit, but, you know, I didn't really uh, come back to dirt biking until four years ago. And uh, so for the better part of my life, I did things like uh, mountain biking and uh, rock climbing and, and those types of activities. And I guess after I'd gone through all of those things and um, maybe my financial situation, you know, allowed me to purchase a dirt bike. That's a big thing too, right? It's, it's not oh, that easy to buy these toys. No, not really at all. Um, you know, and maintain them and everything. And uh, so, yeah, I, I after, you know, doing those other sports, then... I decided to uh, to try dirt biking because it was always something that I loved, but never found a way to to jump into it. So, oh. so yeah, four years. I mean, I think when I started, I had said that I thought I wanted like uh, a dual sport to go ride fire roads. And uh, look at me now, you know, it's like just three years later, and I've got a trial bike and an enduro bike, and I compete in. Uh, Hair scrambles and uh, enduro events and trial events, right? So who would have known? But uh, I, I guess I should have guessed that my competitive spirit would have pushed me in that direction. Yeah, fair enough. Eh? Like, uh, <laughs> so um, you mentioned the um, uh, mountain biking. Uh, you, you used yeah. to you were a competitive mountain biker. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I come from Fredericton, New Brunswick, which is a relatively small place in the Atlantic provinces. And, you know, mountain biking unofficially has been part of my life, you know. But competitively, I would say I picked that up somewhere after my rock climbing days. Okay. Um, and it was to be closer to family. You know, I could spend two or three hours on on a mountain bike and then have time to be around my kids uh, rather than take a whole day and, and go rock climbing, which is, you know, a little more time suck there. Yeah. Um, but I was a big trail builder. That, that was my passion with mountain biking, was building and developing trails. 
and trails to this day uh, in Fredericton that are ridden by, you know, thousands of users every year in a, in a big growing um, mountain bike community. So um, I had a lot of uh, joy, I guess, and, and pride in, in building trail, and I do it now in an enduro model. Right, I I built trails and I built some in Fredston, and now I've moved to Quebec. So unfortunately, I don't know if anybody's going to ride those trails. Uh, they weren't people's favorite trails because they were so rugged. Uh, but I needed them to train for what I was trying to compete in. So I tried to make you know really difficult trails. Um, and it and it was the same in mountain biking too, to some extent, right? Well, people enjoy a challenge. Like yeah, the, yeah. I mean, there are those days that you just want to be on a nice flowy track, but um, other than just that feeling of of riding it smoothly, it doesn't get the blood pumping the same way as like I don't know, even just crossing a couple of logs can. Absolutely. Um, I think that's where my, and you're absolutely right. Like I like all kinds of riding. You know, I love going to do sand and whoops or maybe even a track day here or there. But at the end of the day, it's the long endurance through rugged terrain that really gets me going. And the trial bike is just a means for me to get my skills a little bit better for the enduro bike. Like I'm not looking to really do too much competition and trials it's uh, more of a training tool you know i like it but it's a bit boring at times and it's hard to find people to to ride with for a trial because there are a lot around here so yeah i was uh listening to another um podcast and there's a fellow who used to be a trials guy and uh that's what he'd he was commenting i guess is that he does enduro because he can get guys to ride enduro with him, and it's uh, he's at a level now with with trials that he gets bored by himself kind of easy. So he'll go out and what? Yeah, it's um, it, to me it's really comparable to like a home gym or a treadmill or something like that, or getting on the spin bike, right? It's it's a training tool. It requires a bit of self discipline to go and do and do slowly and controlled and but it it doesn't have that same fun for me as uh, you know, being on the pipe on the enduro bike. Um uh, but but I have gone to a couple trials events and that was fun. I had a blast at uh some of the trials event in Memram Cook near uh, Moncton, New Brunswick. Okay. And it was fun. You know, it's a bit like uh, chess or I don't know if you've ever heard of a bouldering competition for climbing, but, you know, where you have all these different problems and, you know, you're like, you inspect them first and then you try to do them clean. So it is fun when it's organized. There's just not enough community, I think, yet in our region to support growth or, you know, more people into that. But. Yeah, I I can see how. Uh, well, it's a pretty expensive um, commitment <clears throat> up front, and without a large community, like we're close to me, there's a spot where 
it's a favorite spot for trials guys. So I kind of see them a fair amount, but I know that I'm spoiled just because of where I'm at. Like other yeah. areas, it wouldn't be the yeah. same way. <clears throat> it's just a natural area that has a lot of problems. And uh, the guys try to get up to the top of this mountain all the time. So they're, yeah. you know. For most people, it's a second bike, right? Yeah. So as you said, it's, it's very limiting financially to be able to have the two bikes and maintain both. And But in, if you can, if you can, uh, let me tell you, it does really, really help in learning how to feel, how to ride the bike, like where to position your weight and balance your bike. And it really breaks it down to the basics. Nice. So you also mentioned that uh, you're a rock climber. Mm-hmm. What discipline of rock climbing were you into? Like free climbing or bouldering? Um, pretty well all of it, you know. Like it, it occupied, I'd say, 12 years of my life. Like oh, wow. from uni- university to uh, my beginnings of my career and family. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, I'd say at first we'd go out and we'd top rope. And once I got comfortable with that, I got into sport climbing, which is like where the bolts are already pre-filled in the wall. And then I got into traditional climbing where you lead and place equipment in natural crack features. And I did ice climbing too. That was scary (laughs) and stressful and cold and miserable and one of those type two fun um, activities, but it was really great. You know, I got to see some really amazing places uh, in Europe and all across the U.S. with climbing trips to go to these uh, mountains and uh, explore different areas. It it really was a a memorable part of my life, I guess. What was the, the nicest location you ever climbed? Oh, wow. Um, you know, I, I think that for me, the uh, western part of the U.S., like the, uh, the desert, um, climbing out in Red Rocks, Vegas was absolutely beautiful. And um, Joshua Tree in California was equally um, just breathtaking place and a great experience. And great to go to places where it's like a bit of the birth of climbing. Um, You know, climbing in New Brunswick would have happened many, many years after, you know, when it blew up in California, so to speak. So you get to see the generation's worth of climbing development and climbing families. So, you know, there was one point there was a three-generation family next to us climbing, right? The kids, the parents, and the grandparents, and that that's really cool to see. That is pretty impressive. Uh, so did you ever climb Yosemite or any of that kind of stuff? No. <laughs> I was, uh, I think I'm scared of heights. So like the big wall stuff, I shied away from that. Uh, my friends just and I, we went on this trip to, uh, to France and we went to the Verdun Gorge, which is like a thousand foot deep, uh, kind of wall, but it's a gorge. You have to come in from the top. 
we just parked the car and we looked over the railing and I got a little nauseous and I was like, nope, <laughs> no thanks. So we drove, we drove to Fontainebleau just outside of Paris and we bouldered for the rest of the trip. So I don't think I'm naturally meant for big walls. Uh, so it, it was more sport climbing that we did. Fair enough. It sounds more like you'd be great at gym bouldering. The farthest you'll free be from the floor is eight feet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you don't have to worry too much about getting hurt. Yeah, nice cushy falling. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, okay. So, uh, you, I guess your your sports progression would be like, um, from from rock climbing into mountain biking into enduro. Uh, the whole way it seems to me like you're kind of like seeking challenge, like in constantly seeking challenge. Um, constantly. There was before the Enduro too, I did uh, Ironman. Um, I had a personal goal to complete an Ironman. So it took me um, maybe three years, four years to build up to get to it. Okay. But, but when I did mountain biking, I did running and road cycling and cyclocross. And eventually I evolved to want to get a, uh, a TT bike and do um, triathlons. <clears throat> but I'm the kind of person that likes growth, I guess. So when I see progression in what I'm doing or the sport that I'm doing, I want to take it to the next level, right? And yeah. try to master the skills. <laughs> So I eventually, you know, went from Olympic triathlons to half Ironman, and I did a few of those, and then I set a goal to do a full, and I did one in 2015 at uh, mont Okay. And I think after I accomplished that goal, I was like, all right, what's next, right? Uh <laughs> <laughs> what's next what can i what can i tackle and uh, it's always in the the sports stream if you want like my hobbies have been related to sports that are self-driven um self-motivated right you're not so a team player most, no no you know what the stress of like dropping the ball or letting the goal is no thanks like i don't want to let the team down i just want to uh be responsible for myself right and uh so i've been uh in individual sports kind of my my whole life what's it like completing an iron man like how do you feel at the end of that oh boy well that day, I think it was 38 degrees, and uh, I was crushing it. Like, I was on par to do, like, uh, a 10-hour uh, Ironman, which would be, you know, probably top 5 percentile of people, like, scores-wise. But I think after 140 kilometers on the bike, the heat came out, and I, was, I just cooked, and then I started to... Uh, get cramps in my legs okay so it was really hard to finish but i finished it and it was amazing and the the medal or the prize that you get is this really big heavy cookie of uh you know gold plated metal uh with the quebec 
uh, flag or leaf on it, Motom Love. So it's really cool. It's a it's a life goal that no one can ever take from you. Yeah. You know, you've done it. It stays with you, and it's it's an accomplishment. And uh, I guess that's what I like doing: personal goals in life, right? Yeah. No, that's uh, like an Iron Man's really impressive. Anyone can do it. It, you know, you, everyone thinks, oh my goodness, that's impossible. But everything in life that you put your mind to, you can accomplish if you just break it down into steps and, you know, work for it. Right? So, put the time in, learn about it, train for it. Well, outside of the, the cramps then, what was the, the major challenge in the Ironman for you then? Um. Well, anything can go wrong. You know, I've seen pro athletes go from being uh, in the lead on a <clears throat> great time to being curled up under, like, a pinfoil blanket, like, you know, a kilometer from the finish line. So it's really about listening to your body and knowing what's going to give out if you're pushing it too hard or not and fueling yourself properly, but being able to adapt to different conditions. Um, and the same is true in moto, you know, in moto, a lot of my friends, they don't ride when it's raining out. And I'm like, well, race day, you're not going to know if it's going to rain or be a muck fest or whatever right it's almost always gonna so rain. it's good almost almost always right yeah. it always rains on weekends everybody knows that yeah, that's right <laughs> so you want to be ready and train for everything right so when i go and i do my enduro rides, i try to be ready for wet conditions i try to ride even a bit of snow in the fall or in the spring um you know, I try to do track, I try to do single track, hard enduro, everything, right? To be well-rounded and prepared. And it's a bit the same with Ironman. You know, you want to be kind of already trained that you know you can do the distance, that you know how to fuel yourself properly, that you're not going to get sick while you're doing the event. Yeah, fair. So learning about nutrition is a a huge thing. Usually when something goes wrong, it was, I think it's either nutrition or your brain, you know, the part of your brain that tells you to quit (laughs) and the one that tells you to go. That's the biggest challenge. And, uh, you know, being able to do mind over matter and let your body go, the human body can accomplish so much more than we limit it. Right. Yeah. So that's the biggest challenge: psycho, psychological, and uh, the uh, food. You know, your yeah. your diet and everything. I think are those two biggest things. And I sucked at swimming, <laughs> 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 but I did get better. I did get better. Yeah, it's just something you got to put the time in for. Hey, look, it's just it's the same with moto, right? People are like, oh, you know, well. <clears throat> logs scare me or I can't do logs. Well, go do it a hundred times. Go do it 200 times, 300 times, right? Yeah. And it becomes second nature eventually. So anything that, you know, 
is fearful or whatever, you build into it and you expose yourself to it and you can eventually overcome or learn it, right? Yeah. I, I, I remember the first time I saw a log, it was just the unknown. Like you imagine all these scenarios that realistically could never take place, but you don't know it until you go over and then, yeah, yeah, it's working. Yeah. And you're like, oh, sweet. And you build up, you know, next thing you know, you're uh, maybe doing a concrete barrier, right? Yeah. <laughs> Barry? Yeah. That's I, it. Heard you, I heard you talking with Brad right, when yeah. you were like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the concrete barrier is uh, it's just so much scarier than two or three bogs stacked up, right? The same and, height. And I don't I, know why. Yeah. I know, but there's something about hitting that frame or... You know, I had a, there was a Jersey barrier somewhere that was backfilled on one side, which helped tremendously, right? That's sure. part of the scary aspect of hitting a barrier with nothing on the other side. But even just hitting it with the backfill on, on the high side, trying to get up on the plateau, I would wake out. And I'm like, I don't know why, okay. but it's something about hitting that bike on that hard surface it's happened to me a couple times and uh, it just intimidates me but i'll do a bigger log and i don't know why so i've got to work on that yeah it's like if anything um the results would be more consistent going over the concrete than they would going over the log because the log may have some flex or some kind of variance where the concrete's going to be consistent It'll always behave the same way. So, I mean, yeah. like, I don't know. There, the mind is an evil, evil opponent. It is. <laughs> it is. Oh. It's the limiter in everything, right? Yeah. So you, you've done um, the, the corduroy in, in Ontario? I have, but I have a concession. What's that? I timed out by a few minutes the time that I, that I finished. So... I haven't officially completed one in the complete time, and it's my nemesis is to uh, to lock that down. And hopefully this year, like, I don't know, are we going to have the corduroy? Are we not? I'm thinking probably not the yeah. way that things are going. So I'm not, you know, I'm not um, holding my breath to it or getting too excited about it, but that's what I want to do. Like I want to be able to finish on time <clears throat> with a good time in the uh, men's expert category at uh, Corduroy nice. and same at Pi- same at Pioneers Enduro in uh, La Dorée, Quebec, which is equally uh, an amazing event. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm new to the Eastern Enduro like series. I, I, yeah, and it yeah. you know we're we're such a big country too that <clears throat> kind of have a, a western group and an eastern group and I think it was in 2019 they brought a lot of your uh, top eastern or top western riders to Corduroy um, through an agreement where they you know would transport bikes and stuff like that and it uh, was really nice to see well. First of all, you've got the best riders. I mean, you guys did amazing, I think, at Corduroy, especially on the women's uh, pro podium. Um, but it was cool to see the, you know, such a wide country be able to come together at Corduroy 
in in 2019. Yeah, I'd I'd like to do it. It's a really it's a really great spot to come enjoy like off road culture for three days. Yeah, you know it's it's not just about the race. No. It's about the it's about the event and. Uh, the setting there at the uh, Glitterham uh, Community Center is, you know, really beautiful. It's, it's grassy, and um, there's a nice uh, community center, um, and all the RVs kind of park out. It's just got such a great feel. All the bikes, all the uh, manufacturers, the pro riders, it's, you know, obviously uh, a top level pro organized event and uh, with ballistic films now too uh, doing the coverage like they've got some really great footage and videos online um, on YouTube I'm sure I don't know if you've seen them or not but uh, ballistic films is definitely worth checking out to get a feel of what corduroy's like okay I'll take a look at that um I mean, I've seen some like GNCC kind of uh, snippets of the corduroy. Uh, you know, just a bunch of riders going by a tiny section, which I, it kind of annoys me. Like the the lack of um, of camera coverage Covered. on some of those, yeah, because you just see like yeah, this tiny well, little wedge. Like, yeah, but I think this is why if you go check out ballistic films for. Yeah coverage of the corduroy yeah. every year they put together like a one hour movie coverage and oh. it's pretty decent so it's it's a good setup okay. definitely worth checking out it'll motivate you to come out and uh, see us on the eastern coast yeah fair enough i mean like uh i got some family out on the east coast i'd like to visit um so you got an- another sort of big uh story i guess i don't know the elephant in the room if if, if you will <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, Barry? Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, like, we we talked before, and uh, so I, I like uh, it's a difficult segue because I could just keep talking moto and then never even touch on this the whole time. So, uh, so I'm just going to force well, myself. I'm, like, you know, I think it was great that you talked about moto first because you know I'm really passionate about that, and uh, <clears throat> it's it's good to get that message across. It makes me uh, feel normal. You are normal, you know. Like our, our, our first 15 minute be. conversation lasted us an hour and a half. Like, uh, so whatever. Yeah. Like, uh, through two provinces, I bet you, if you're driving around out, out East, you know, so, um, but yeah, I mean, it's a pretty big story. Like it's a, it's a huge story cause we're about the same age. Yeah. And, uh, so like, yeah, I don't know. I'll let you tell it cause it's your story. I don't want to. Sure. So. Uh, yeah, I guess I'm 43 uh, now, and when I was 38, I was really at a tough point in my life. I'd been um, probably very uh, miserable for the 10 former years, so from like age 28 to 38, I struggled, struggled through life, struggled through relationships and stuff like that, and uh, I was born cisgender uh, male and at age 38 I decided to come out and accept that I was transgender so I had uh, I decided to go through uh, gender transformation 
from the last basically five or six years. So it has been an epic fight. <laughs> it's uh, there's no way to put it um, to to say something like that, to admit it, to deal with it, like both on the physical level as well as psychological uh, level and you know the the societal uh, pushback and a lot of acceptance and a lot of resistance and a lot of mixed emotions and mixed feelings and uh, but you know today I am in a, a very happy place and I can say comfortably that um, I'm glad that you know I I had the courage to go the direction that I did rather than continuing to suppress how I felt, which was really detrimental to my mental health for a number of years. And uh, so, so I'm happy. I'm a trans female and I'm a competitive athlete and I'm still a dad of two amazing kids. And, that's my pink elephant. What, what would you like to know? <laughs> well, it's interesting uh, that uh, what you just said there, that you're still a dad of two kids uh, being trans yeah. female. Like, uh, yeah. you know, th- I'll, I'll pick on the, the liberal left from America because most of everybody in this audience is is uh, Canadian. They, they, would, they might be upset that you didn't consider yourself the mom now. Do you know, like... Well, you know, my little niece one time, uh, she didn't quite understand uh, when I said that my, my two kids, they said something about their mom. And she, she looked at me and she was like, what do you mean? You're their mom. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> but, uh, you know, being trans is, uh, there are different trans people. Let's just leave it at that. Some are very much, um, you know, focused on their new identity and stuff and uh, uh, want to forget about maybe including the past. Or, uh, But for me, <clears throat> I just see myself as having gone through uh, an evolution of, of me, who I am. Still me inside here. Changed my look, my feel, my emotions uh, through hormone replacement. But I'm not, you know, ashamed of my past in any way. I'm not opposed to my kids saying Papa and stuff like that. And I try to just roll with the punches, you know, instead of uh, pushing back too much and try not to to be a, a label and just be, you know, I say to my other uh, friend, AJ, who's a, a trans man, like, I'm a hybrid, and uh, I like I like myself that way. And uh, you know, there are some very uh, feminine traits about me, just like there are still some very awesome masculine traits about me. And I love to mix the both, and that's who I am. That's you right. Know? You said something there too that made me like uh, I don't know, per- per- sparked my interest was changed your emotions with uh, hormone therapy like 
I'll put it I'll put it this way. Sometimes like with my guy friends and they're biking and stuff, they have a hard time sort of realizing that, okay, I'm a woman or whatever. And we rode biking one day, me and my friend Sean and uh I had a beta Beta 390 RR four stroke, totally the bad choice of bike, right? This was my, my first bike. It was heavy. It was all of the above and hard to ride a four stroke and single track. Yeah. Well, wouldn't, wouldn't you know, we, we go out riding at his place and and the bike uh, just dies in the woods. All right. And they're like, we found out later it was a fuse. And I had no idea what that the word spare fuse in their typical story. Yeah. But we're trying to, Sean's not a very patient guy. He's like, oh, if something goes wrong, like with someone on the ride, he gets anxious. Like, you know, Buddy blew a tire, or someone broke a chain, and he gets anxious because it's not controlled, right? Yeah, so sure. he's like, all right, we gotta start pushing the bike out of the woods, and I start pushing with him. And uh, he, we're pushing the bike, and he looks back and he's like, "You're not even pushing." <laughs> <laughs> and I started crying. I was like, "I can't!" And I started crying in the woods. And uh, Sean goes back to his wife, and he says, "Yeah." He's like, "Life's just sure made the right choice." She was out crying in the woods, pushing her dirt bike. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, uh, the the hormone replacement. Uh, you know, there are things about me, my voice. I can't change my height. I can't change, but the hormones have completely changed how I feel, how I interact. I think I'm just a nicer person today than the miserable person that I was before, and I think the hormones is the most um, <clears throat> sacred thing for me for the transition for my transition okay. having had that ability to feel how I feel now emotional and compassionate and strange uh, eh? yeah it is kind of it's not something yeah. that, I don't know hormones are just something that you take for granted like as a guy we do I would just be yeah. like whatever you know and like and totally you know, I've, I've been around women my whole life, so I'm very familiar with when the hormones seem to take charge of them. <laughs> but like, <laughs> you know, I would just imagine since you're sort of medically administering them to yourself that uh, it might be a little, little less chaotic than, than what, um, I don't know. The natural, they call it a transition because you basically go through like a, a new puberty stage, if you want, with yep. your body adjusting to this new hormonal change. And, it, you know, physically it changes your muscle mass, your skin, your hair, everything, right? That hormones are what dictate how our skin feels and how our nails grow and our hair and our emotions, basically all of our internal um so when you swap it up, obviously you get uh, the opposite. And uh, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. science is cool. Science is cool, eh? But uh, as 
you know, I think a lot of people are like, well, why should healthcare pay for, you know, your hormone replacement and stuff? And I'm like, well, you know, beforehand I hit the, the psych board a few times of, you know, suicidal and not doing well. And uh, now that I've transitioned after six years, it's like, I want to live again and I'm happy and uh, that's why, you know, that's enough reason there because I am a great person and I'm worth saving, I think. Yeah. And you think that uh, it's cheap medical treatment for uh, improving my life condition, I guess. So uh, you said suicidal, like, uh, so between our last talk and this talk, I did some, some digging uh, not so much into your life, but just like into the uh, the average trans sort of life. And one of the stats that came up was uh, suicide. Like um, it's a, it's a significant part of the the community. Yeah. Have you ever given any thought to that? Like seeing as how you know that it was like suicide was a consideration for you at one point in life, but something in you obviously sent you for help. So you have like, you have a, a desire to be alive. You just maybe at one point saw it as a, as a, an answer to life's problems or what have you. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's interesting because I think it's, uh, May's like mental health awareness month or something like that. Yep. And I'm a person that's been very, very open with, uh, my mental health along the way. Um, especially in my early days of transition and stuff, I was very vocal, very um, trying to put the message out, like exposure, right? And it was a bit detrimental to my cause because I was exposing myself so much. But at the same time, I think I was able to educate a lot of people by opening up my life to them. Yeah. And, you know... Depression, um, kind of hard to, to determine what causes depression. Oh, impossible. And, and you know, like I've had four major concussions in, in my life. The, the last one being around 2013 or something where I lost a couple of days of memory. But, oh, wow. and, I've, and I've had, a, you know, a series of maybe life traumatic events uh, that, that can also contribute to depression, but um, it's hard to say like what what the cause is. But I can say that my suppressing my mask, like my femininity, by masking with over masculinity, was not a healthy way for me to live thirty eight years of my life. Okay, and and you know society has a way of telling us this is the algorithm right this is you know you 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 go to school you meet a girl you go to university you make a family and you know it's a very um it's a path that i think we're trained to recognize that that's where we need to be or want to be and i noticed kind of growing up as a kid that i had feminine tendencies uh, with colors and style and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. 
But at the age of like 12, when, you know, puberty starts to set in and boys and girls and all of that, and guys would, uh, you know, at our age growing up, really pick on uh, guys who may be feminine, right? Oh, yeah. Because there's, there's this thing of, of masculinity, right? You need to be tough and strong and none of this sissy stuff. And, and times are changing, you know. Uh, it's beautiful to see that fading, but there's obviously always going to be resistance. But, yeah. uh, but over the years, I just, um, you know, suppressed that because I realized that if I fed into it, I would be miserable, like a societal target. And I didn't want that. So I corrected myself until a point when I was older that I couldn't anymore. And it just came out. So, so you, you know, I couldn't. You didn't just wake up one day at 38 and go. I feel like I'm in the wrong body. You you had this thought for a long time. Yeah, um, but how can I explain? Like, okay, in my shoes, growing up, people often teased me that I was probably gay. Yeah, and I was, and I was like, I was attracted to women, so I couldn't understand. And I was like, well, no, I'm I'm not didn't think I was gay, didn't want to be gay, but people sort of pegged me that way. But we didn't know what, you know, trans, that we had trans people then or what transgender was, you know? And uh, so not being exposed to what you might be, how could you possibly know? Um, I think if I were born today, I would have had a very different life. Like I'm almost hundred percent sure that at the age of what's grade five, like uh, nine or ten years old, yeah. I probably then would have really, really started realizing that hey, um, you know, kind of lifting the hand. I, I'm probably trans. I think I'm trans. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, I didn't know, you know, and uh, but and I was already set into a, a really hard line uh, at 38. How do you get out of that, you know? And it wasn't a like you had a lot invested in in uh, your male gender role, being a husband and father. Um, yeah, like seemed pretty committed. I guess. Uh, that must have been weird to like just think, like, like we. we the, yeah, it the, sounds ludicrous. Yeah, well, it I mean, sounds ludicrous. It's yeah. like I'm. I can't do that. Like yeah. I'm. I'm a father of two. I'm a professional engineer. I'm a member of our community. Like, what you know? So, yeah. I mean, that thought had turned inside me for a long time thinking I could never be or I could never face that publicly, so I didn't. But at some point, if you suppress something that you feel so much, it's going to lead to mental health issues, right? And that's where I feel myself, that unless I faced it, then 
my mental health would just continue to degrade. Okay. And so, so acceptance is kind of a way. Acceptance from here, who? Right? From, from yourself or from, from us? Like the people uh, in your life? Myself. Kind of okay. my, I, I think myself accepting and facing who I am and, and living my true self. Okay. You know? That's fair. And so when yeah. you when you decided that this was your path, did you talk to anybody? Um, just in case, because if I put myself in your shoes, uh, you know, and basically like like you said, thinking this is ludicrous, and then you think, okay, like this is this is the right thing. Myself, I would have like this moment where I double down on the ludic it being ludicrous because not only was it crazy to think of in the first place, but now I'm accepting it and contemplating it. I need to talk to somebody like I need a sounding board because the crazy is just piling up in my head. <laughs> it's know? hard not yeah. to, uh, to feel, uh, at times crazy. Like I'll be honest, it, yeah. it's been so such a trip, but, um, well, for one, I, I feel I'm a hypercritical uh, person. I do my research and everything else, but, um, my my partner at the time, um, you know, sort of knew uh, and it developed again with her. So this was after uh, I had gotten divorced. It was a partner later on. And, you know, we went back and forth and about it and everything. And, um, you know, she, she was like pretty sure I was trans and I was pretty sure I was trans. And I'd been talking to, um, trans, um, like a psychologist in Carton who, who specializes in, um, gender issues, um, as well as um, a doctor in Fredericton who specialized in uh, transitions. And, uh, you know, we kind of all come to the consensus that if I continued to suppress sort of how I felt, that I would probably continue to be miserable. So I just kind of went for it and got miserable in a different way. But, yeah. you know, because <laughs> it was so hard to face okay. uh, and it was all it was awful at first like I, I, I won't lie I wouldn't wish that on anyone but now now I feel great yeah like I I'm happy I I'm happy with everything you know and that made it worth it and it made it worth it to help educate the world a little bit more about you know, letting people be, uh, who they are. That's fair. And so like, uh, I'd imagine there was a pretty significant social and professional cost that you had to pay, uh, around the time of the transition. Like you would have lost some friends possibly, or, uh, or maybe not lost them like in, in the long term, but in the immediate term, like there, there had to be some kind of, um, I don't know, uncomfortable social rebirth, so to speak. I don't, I don't really have the words for it. I didn't live that life. Like, yeah, it's, um, you know, uh, I think we talked about this a little bit the other day where I said that some people who I didn't think would support me, uh, really surprised me. And then people who I thought would support me didn't. Isn't it weird? Um, 
Like, isn't, yeah, isn't that weird? Like, completely. You think your redneck buddy with the the dead deer on his wall would be the the first one to write you off, and he's like, "Hey, come on over for a beer, let's talk." And then <laughs> the super progressive, like liberal arts study. 100%. Yeah, it's just like, what did you do? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and and I think for the most part, everyone. Um, you know, a lot of people accepted me right off the bat. It was open support, and but it didn't make things easier. I think where I second guess their authenticity was that my loved ones closest to me were the ones having a harder time keeping the bond. So it makes you question the other friends around me, or they just doing it because it's easy and they can maintain friendship when the closest ones to me were starting to fall off. Right. Do you think it's possible in today's social climate that, um, with cancel culture and all that kind of stuff, that some of the friends like the, the peripheral friends kind of feel a social obligation to be accepting versus a genuine obligation? I think to some extent there's some of that going on, but, uh, I think people probably do that in every day-to-day friendships too. Yeah, yeah, for sure there are. Like, <laughs> and, and, and to not take it too personally, you know? Yeah, uh, it, I think it's universal, you, yeah. Humans, humans are humans, and uh, <laughs> I'm, awesome. I'm, <laughs> I've learned to just be forgiving because if I absorb all of humanity's fears towards me, it's really hard on me, right? No shit. So the best way... The best way to move freely is to just not give a shit and just be confident in what I'm doing is awesome and great. Yeah. And that the people who are with me and follow me that way, then that's great. Yeah. You know? And the ones who who are afraid or fear or whatever, it's just an unknown. And we're always scared of what we don't know or what we can't control. It's human nature. That's fair. I mean, in their defense, it took you 38 years to come to terms with it. So, you know, yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah, to put it in. It's not easy. No, I don't All think right. so. And, <laughs> uh, so the, like we spoke earlier, so like, I'm trying not to like use uh, knowledge that I have, uh, but like you, you, you'd mentioned that since like the transition and things you picked up new friends along the way. So they only know you as Alexis. And uh, so how does it, like, how does that feel? Do do they feel like more genuine friends? It feels, uh, it feels great. Um, No, it doesn't bother me to talk with my family or my former friends. Or some strange dude in Alberta. (laughs) Some strange dude in Alberta. But, uh, you know, I don't mind reminiscing on the past. Uh, I don't mind talking about, like, my climbing days. That was all done in my former uh, days. And, uh, you know, I don't, you know, shy away from that in, uh, in any way. So, yeah, I just uh, kind of try to roll with it and accept, right? But yeah. uh, there, there are a lot of friends who uh, have been just so helpful uh, along the way. But, you know, the, the, the connections that I've met who don't know my former self, it's just so easy. Because there's no explanation. Yeah. They just see 
they just see Alexis. There's nothing more to it than that. And it's been really wonderful. So I don't think my friends flush themselves from my life so much as I flush them from mine. I understand. To, right? We all do that, though. And I mean, you don't need to, to have um, a gender transformation to just sort of shed the dead weight anyway. Like, but the thing is, is that me being associated with them made me reminisce on who I was. Yeah, and I get it. so by going just with new people who only knew my new self, it was just, you know, wouldn't bring up any dysphoria or whatnot from, from the past. Is that a concern? So what? Like, um, dysphoria, like, you know, no, not dysphoria so much. Like, you know how, when, as you get older, you always look back and your youth was full of only summer days and everybody was awesome and all that kind of stuff. Um, I've never, like, I don't know. It's just a thought that came to my head, like as a, as a trans person going back and thinking you like the better days, uh, in life. And then will you ever assign those to the gender or just to the times? Like, you know, you oh. look, if you look back in the climbing days, like it was awesome. Da da da, And then I don't know. I think when I look back, I don't, um, I never look back at the days were better because of my gender. I don't regret those days and the gender that I was, and I don't regret the days now. It's yeah. just an evolution of, of me. Yeah. Um, but I look back at the 80s and 90s and think how I, you know, you look at our world today with how we are with information technology overload and COVID and political this and that. Oh man, I would do anything to go to the eighties and nineties right now, you know, um, build a so ramp. <laughs> build a ramp. Yeah, absolutely. Jump a, jump a ramp with wood stolen from a construction site and they helped you do it. <laughs> like, you know, and the parents are inside the house and you're out in the street and you're eight years old and no one cares. No one. Yeah. The world's evolved, eh? It's kind of scary with uh, how much it's changed. I don't know. Maybe we're maybe we're getting old. Yeah, we're getting old. <laughs> but like, I mean, I always like since I've known of your story, I always put into the context of like the days of our youth, like being twenty, how how it would have happened, and then like the twenty year olds today and stuff. Like they don't have the same struggle, I don't think. Like people are more open-minded, more willing to accept more everything. Like they have, they have different challenges. Oh yeah. I'm sure. You know, like how many likes they get on Instagram and whatever. Yeah. You know, they, they face different types of anxieties that uh, is is shifted in different ways, you know, cyberbullying and things like that. And uh, so, you know, I look at, my girl and uh she just for her age seems to be already very anxious and uh i didn't feel that i think at that age i was very oblivious to the cruelty and difficulties of life until probably like 20-ish you know when when i started to have to fend for myself you know earn my own money do my own bills and all of that. And, and now, um, 
now I feel like I'm just in sensory overload. You know, my brain is getting squished every day at work, uh, you know, as a consulting engineer. And, uh, you know, I, that's what I fear for young people moving forward is how much strain we're putting on ourselves uh, mentally with computers and how much knowledge of everything. And uh, Yeah, knowledge changes yeah, faster. Tough. Like, oh boy! Yeah. I I look at the design codes uh, for engineering that you know were fifty pages now are five hundred pages just in my career, right? Yeah, yeah. So That's... everything, documentation and knowledge, and it's it's frying our brains. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. I just I just want to go ride my dirt bike, like and escape. If I could. If I could get out of engineering and have, like, a place where I could have, like, I don't know, like an enduro camp where people come out for a week to ride and train, and you know, that'd be bliss. Yeah, it would be the way to live. Yeah, it's a dream for everybody that, that, that I associate with these days. Um, yeah. So then, uh, before we move on, uh, like, you were married, you, you were a dad, now you're... Um, in a new relationship, um, and in a whole new life. And, uh, I know yeah. that at the time, um, it was difficult for, for everyone in the, in the family to sort of keep up with you in, in, in terms of like what's happening. Cause it must've been pretty fast for them, but now you guys are all in a good place. Like the, your, we are, your, yeah. and your kids and it took, uh, only took six years no big deal <laughs> no big deal yeah. you know but actually in the last year uh things in my life just kind of all came together um i met uh, an extremely uh great person uh, named vicky who mm-hmm. lives in quebec and uh we're partners now i live here with her um vicky is trans like myself yeah. which is just makes everything so easy. You know, we don't have to explain ourselves or worry about ourselves in any particular way, being different. So so that's so comfortable. My ex and I with my kids were on a great level now. I just talked to my both my kids this morning actually. My nice. my boy was going out to build the work on his pump track in the backyard and uh, my daughter said she was going to do some homework or something. Nerd. (laughs) So, so yeah, total nerd. Doesn't like getting dirty. Yeah. But we, uh, you know, having to have been able to get past that point of conflict just Mm -hmm. puts my mind at rest. Right, because conflict creates continued internal trauma and turmoil, and if you can just extinguish it by making peace, then you're good. You sleep well, and and we're there, and I'm happy. And so with Vicky, with Vicky, I'm happy. We're at peace. It's peaceful, and for the first time in probably 15 years of my life. I'm peaceful and you know, so that's, that's, that's huge for me. I'm going to blame the motorcycles. It's, it's, it's the dirt biking that that's giving you life's peace. Absolutely. 
nothing puts a smile on more than, you know, getting on my bike. Yeah, no doubt. I love it. So uh, you're racing men's expert? I am. Yeah. And uh, how's that? What... So what's the logic? No, no, not the logic. That's fine. Like, uh, <laughs> I thought about I thought about bringing that whole opening that can, can of worms, but like. Uh, it, oh, it's, it's definitely not... a good one. Yeah, fair. It's, it's it's one we should talk about because oh. I think your your moto fans are probably like when I showed up at uh, an SMSQ uh, enduro race here last year in Quebec, mm-hmm. and I said uh, said yeah, I want to register for the forty plus at uh, one thirty. I think the time was, and she kind of looked at me like, uh, but uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> And I was like, yep, yeah, I'm just going to go for it. And uh, But I've been racing the uh, men's 40-plus field in in New Brunswick as well as in Nova Scotia. And I've been doing well, actually. Like, I had a few, I think, maybe three uh, or four third-place podium finishes. Nice. Um, in a, a field of people who are I've got to admit, like, there's some really great riders in 40 plus categories because a lot of them are retired, semi pro kind of riders, right? Who are still weekend warriors. So you got to be on your game to race in that, that pool of people. So I've been, yeah, uh, I've been riding with them. Now, people ask me, well, why don't you ride with, with the female athletes? And here's my explanation. So first of all, I don't want to get into that, like the potential controversy and conflict and that kind of thing. I just, I just want to ride to have fun and ride against people who are at, at my level. So I don't want to create friction by trying to compete with, the women's group okay um now my stance on that i guess from a world perspective and let's take like the olympics for example i believe that medically once a trans woman has gone through uh, a year of hormone replacement therapy the body has rebuilt and regenerated to a muscle mass comparable to uh, female athletes now, do I have an advantage because I'm six feet tall from bone structure? Probably a little bit, but yeah. I would be the, but I would be the equivalent of a six foot tall female with equal skill, right? Yeah. So my strength, my strength went right way down from where it was. But you know, as I talked about before with Ironman, I was always kind of a top five percentile athlete. So naturally, if you take away my hormones, I'll still perform well, but within my new um, the parameters, I guess. body, yeah. my new parameters. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. So being in that top 5%, well, shit, it's like, well, if I was just kind of like totally out of shape and not going on a dirt bike, all the girls would be like, hey, Alexis, come ride with us. You know, but being being really competitive because I, you know, I win against a lot of the men too. Uh, you know, 
it, it becomes friction just naturally. Mm-hmm. And I try not to take that personally because I think as a species, we would criticize anyone that's in running contention of the podium. And we do it in Olympics even for cis athletes of their own respect right like i think there was a brazilian woman who they were challenging because her testosterone level was too high and stuff like that or the female bodybuilder or weightlifters who are tested for testosterone and and other things and uh everybody's worried about sandbaggers yeah we talked about that sandbaggers that's a good way of, of putting it so so do i think that trans I, I think that trans women who have had a good uh, testosterone blocker or no longer required testosterone uh, blocking antiandrogens for reasons which I'm sure you can figure yeah. out, who now take uh, female hormones, um, I think they are 100% equivalent physically to, say, a woman maybe who's had a hysterectomy you know by biologically and everything were very very similar in hormones and body and makeup and so so yeah i do think it's equivalent but i think it's going to take many many decades before it becomes accepted in in sport you know yeah uh, i think sports people are all competitive they're all looking yeah i just i think i think it's just a different category of of folks like um like at the at the top levels everyone is so competitive that they're always looking for that tiny little advantage and uh yeah and yeah wherever it comes from and there there are guys who transitioned uh into women and went into women's sports and dominated and uh, I think that's left like a sour taste because like it has. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think I can kind of shed a bit of light on that too in, in putting it in my context. Well, if we take uh, dirt biking, for example, well, I dirt bike as a kid and I mountain bike my whole life and I was a competitive athlete my whole life. Yeah. There's, there's a lifetime of skill which I can't shed, I can't fake. It's like it's there, it's ingrained in me. Mm-hmm. Diving down a set of stairs on a bike or, you know, jumping this or jumping that. I guess I do have an advantage in that maybe my testosterone when I was male gave me that courage to do certain things that I might not otherwise through my developmental stage to gain that skill and that lack of fear allowed me to push and do that. But physically now my body strength wise would be equivalent. It's just that I have a lifetime of skill on a bike that I was able to keep in my baggage. I got a question on that one then. Uh, Yeah. Like, Okay, we'll just we'll go with like the the uh, somebody who used to play football in high school, and then uh, and then you know at like the family Thanksgiving down in the states, sixty years old, picks up the ball and goes to play with the the young kids. Like, is there is there 
like the, I guess I'm trying to draw a parallel. Like is your skill set and then your physiology. Is there a moment now where <clears throat> your mind is writing bo- checks that your body can't cash? Like I could, I could do this um, before, like, but I can't now. Yeah. Like um, with sports and things. I think <laughs> do you like overestimate I yourself, my, I guess. Oh shit. Every day. Yeah. I think I'm probably destroying my body on the bike, but I've been doing that my whole life. Yeah. Um, I think my, my lack of fear has caused all kinds of check writing of injuries for myself <laughs> that I wish I could take back. Yeah. Um, and that has continued. But I can tell you a hundred percent, I am more scared now than I used to be, but I still get hurt now. I noticed that when, when I transitioned, I was mountain biking at the time. I hadn't started dirt biking yet, but we were doing like little skinny bridges back then. And, uh, I would get on them and I was like, what is wrong with me? My brain's like, it's not liking this. I'm scared. I want to like cry. And I was like, <laughs> like, I was basically like, I'm, I'm right now. I'm being like every girlfriend that I fought with when we went mountain biking <laughs> because they were emotional on the trail. So yeah, I noticed it. I noticed it affected my my um you know my confidence maybe yeah. and and stuff like that so for sure for uh, sure it changed and i had another weird thought and you can cut me off on these weird thoughts anytime you want um no but, i like, like it uh, you know how like when a girl sort of reaches a certain level of cool she gets to become one of the guys so yeah with new guys who totally. only know you as a girl and you get to that level yes. do they get weird about it like the play on words causes awkwardness. I ride, uh, I ride with uh, the boys. Like yeah. uh, when I was back home there, uh, you know, great group of guys out, you know, I'd say out in Moncton and Stanley and Fredericton. And uh, I think they, they really like me a lot. They love it when I come riding with them. Um, I'm easy to get along with and always kind of in a, a good mood and, you know, I'm the kind of person you say, hey, let's go ride that muddy power line. Sure, why not? Yeah. You know, let's do it. So, so yeah, we've been uh, really great. I've only had a couple characters who have been kind of um, alpha type, hair on their back, kind of stands up. And they don't like that maybe I'm have more skill than them on a bike. So they struggle with that a little bit. Okay. Um, that, that's been tough at, at times because I look at myself that I'm not there because I used to be now. I'm good on a bike now because the steep time that I put in, Yeah. I ride like, I ride like, I think about 160 hours a season. In, in the last four years, like somewhere between 120 and 160, I would say in the That's last four summers. Yeah. And so I worked hard to get to where I'm doing, you know, kind of like when you watch, uh, you know, Megan Griffith 
or uh, Crystal uh, from Crystal who loves Moto yeah. or Christine Black here. You know, these women who have just done drill after drill and practice, practice, passion. I'm doing that. And that's why my skill level is where I'm at. It's not because I used to be a dude. It's no. because I'm putting the time in. I personally think it's seat time over gender when it comes to a motorcycle anyway, because it never asks. It doesn't care who's on top. Yeah. It's <laughs> just like, can you ride like me or I, not? Yeah. I guess that sounds if, bad. I should get, I, I'll edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> no, leave it in. So, you know, like when I went to Corduroy there in 2019 and I watched like Melissa Hart and, and Shelby Turner, like it was just nuts like watching them on a bike and i think that's what you're getting at with yeah. girls like cool like the guys right yeah and uh you know i would love to go on a, on a trail ride with them i got to know melissa a little bit because she rode for beta and uh i was you know kind of uh helping out beta as a bit of a beta ambassador with Steve Howland a couple of years ago um, just helping develop beta in the Fredericton area, and uh, yeah. she she was just such a a great character, and it was really nice to sit in the pits with her and get to talk with her about her experience with ISD and everything else. And so I have huge admiration for women in moto today that are crushing it, and. My competing with the men is to let them do their thing and be amazing and get that. And that, that's why, you know, I don't want to get into that mix and, and spotlight, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's like respectable. Um, yeah. Because I don't know, then you just show up and do your thing. And there's no, there is no big turmoil. Like uh, no drama at the, the races is bullshit. <laughs> yeah and yeah. i love seeing the guys reactions yeah. when i show up on a start line you know it's this girl with the big boobs and ponytail that's gonna race with us that's awesome <laughs> talk about perfect, a mind fuck. Right? Like, yeah like, yeah well because i mean sometimes the race is one on the start line you, you yeah know, some people give out the energy that they're gonna win other people buy it and then they just sort of let them so yeah it's weird I, I think there's a lot of truth in that, you know, how you do on the whole shot is usually set kind of where you're going to be in the pack. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, and endurance, like, uh, depending on the race, I guess. Depending on the race. Yeah. So, okay. Um, is there anything that we haven't covered that you, you would like to cover? No, you know, I think uh, we talked about uh, a lot of the dirt biking aspect. And, yeah. And I'm happy because that's really my huge motivation right now is to uh, continue to grow my skill in uh, enduro. And I'd like to guide. We're moving to Gaspésie. Did I tell you that? Yeah. So we're, we're moving to a place called Kazapskal. It's in the Matapitia uh, River Valley. And it's like the snow belt country of um, Quebec and in Eastern Canada. So Crazy. it's like wick, wicked for mountain sled. And I think it's going to be equally as good for enduro. Oh, I imagine. I can't wait. We're moving there at the end of the month. Yeah. Cause when we last talked, you were 
sort of like just selling your house. <laughs> yeah. Or signing the papers. So the house is yeah. sold. The the lot with the camp is sold. We're we're ready to roll. That's and, awesome. And uh, so hopefully we can get that all done. This COVID stuff can take shape so that maybe next year things can get better. And That's right. I hope we don't keep saying one more year, one more year. Yeah, you know, I know it's like the end of a party. Just one last beer. One last beer. Just one last beer. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Would you just leave, man? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay. Well, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop recording this right here. Uh, oh, uh, do you have any sponsors and stuff you want to thank? Uh, yeah. Well, I guess uh, I really only have one sponsor now, okay. which is uh, FXR Moto. They've been uh, great. Um, so through the Rider Racer program, they've been supporting me for three years now, and uh, it's been great. I was with uh, Yard Gear in Fredericton, but since I moved to Quebec, I kind of left that open for a new kid who could come in and, and support them. But they were my family for, yeah. for a little while there. They were really great and supportive of, of my riding, but... But I'm not really looking for sponsorship too much anymore. It's not that important. I want to focus on having fun, doing nice videos for the community, and uh, just you know, growing the sport, growing my skills. That's sweet. Like, uh, yeah. All right. Well, I'll stop this recording here, and then we can keep talking. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode. I want to thank my guests for taking the time to sit down and chat with me. A special thank you to you, my supporters. Without you, this would not be possible. If you enjoyed the show, give it a five-star rating. And if you haven't already, be sure to like, subscribe, and share. If this is your first time listening, I encourage you to take the three-episode challenge. Once again, thank you for your continued support, and stay tuned to find out what's coming up next time. <laughs>